In the recent Democratic debates, a key point of contention has been what to do about our healthcare system. Some, like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, support transitioning to a Medicare for All, full-on single-payer system. Others, like Pete Buttigieg and John Delaney, say that's a step too far and claim that a public option is the way to go. And by public option, they mean adding a government-run insurance plan alongside the private options. Here, I argue that a public option simply would not work the way they claim it would. The experience with Medicare Advantage in this country proves that insurance companies will use a number of tricks to dodge the sicker, unhealthier people, causing them to disproportionately end up in the public plan. This would drive up its costs and reduce the quality of coverage, ultimately preventing the public option from improving our healthcare system through competition. Our goal should be to move away from the insurance industry status quo, yet the public option would leave it in place. The right to choose between different predatory insurance companies isn't worth maintaining, and the incentive structure they operate with is the exact opposite of what you want in healthcare. A single-payer program would actually expand our choice in the areas that matter, in terms of which doctor, specialist, or facility to visit, because every one of these, by definition, would see patients in the government plan. Polling data pointed to as proof that a public option is more popular. Wow, that was a lot of fucking peas right there, by the way. Totally unintentional. Polling data pointed to as proof that a public option is more popular very often feature slanted questions in favor of a public option and against Medicare for All. When people are supplied with both favorable and accurate information about single-payer, support for the program skyrockets. The public option plans put forth by candidates suffer from other additional defects, and citing Germany as an example of how it could work overlooks very crucial differences between their system and the proposals of these candidates. We're told by centrist Democrats that a public option is the better policy because it lets the American people decide what type of health coverage is best for them. Mayor Pete, for example, argued the following in one of the Democratic debates. The, the problem, Senator Sanders, with that damn bill that you wrote and that Senator Warren backs is that it doesn't trust the American people. I trust you to choose what makes the most sense for you, not my way or the highway. Now, look. I think we do have to go far beyond tinkering with the ACA. I propose Medicare for all who want it. We take a version of Medicare, we make it available for the American people, and if we're right as progressives that that public alternative is better, then the American people will figure that out for themselves. I trust the American people to make the right choice for them. Why don't you? Notice first that in the process of arguing against Medicare for All, Pete seems to accidentally concede that it would be the best policy outcome. Quote, if we're right as progressives that the public alternative is better, then the American people will figure that out for themselves, end quote. By saying this, he seems to make clear that the public plan is the best option, yet he doesn't have the spine to actually fight for it. Now, of course, whoever knows what Pete is really saying, because the dude is constantly talking out of both sides of his mouth. I bet when he got married, he was like, I do, but at the same time, I don't. If Pete was here right now, he'd probably say, well, maybe I think the public option is best, but who am I to determine that that's what's best for every other American citizen? As he put it, quote, I trust the American people to make the right choice for them, end quote. It might sound like a good idea in principle, but one problem I see with this viewpoint is basic human inertia. Even if we added a public option into the mix and it worked exactly how they claim it would work, the existence of a better option doesn't guarantee that people will take the initiative to enroll in that better option. 
inflation. Adam Gaffney points out that, quote, those buying plans on the Obamacare marketplaces switch plans as frequently as once a year. Indeed, they are encouraged to shop around every enrollment period to avoid being ripped off, end quotes. I don't know about you, but there's a very slim chance that I'm going to make the time to do a bunch of research, shop around, compare benefits, run the numbers, and switch between health insurance providers every single year to get the best value and benefits. Who the fuck has time for that? I'm way too busy making videos where I talk about how I don't have time to make important changes in my life. The point is, even if there was a better option available on the ACA marketplace, that's no guarantee that everyone will operate as this perfectly rational and maximally informed consumer who switches over to it, meaning many people will stay in their shitty private insurance plans and continue getting screwed over. I trust the American people to make the right choice for them. Really? Because I don't. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. There are lots of stupid people in this country who make poor decisions. Exhibit A, we just elected Donald Trump as our country's president. That doesn't exactly scream expert decision makers to me. I trust the American people to make the right choice. Pete, you're only pulling at 5%. What? Fuck the American people. They don't know what they want. The biggest problem with the public option is that it simply wouldn't work the way that its proponents claim it would. They present us with this idealized scenario where the government plan is a cheaper and better option that would increase competition and force private insurers to either improve their product or ultimately be driven out of business. Herzlinger and Boxer, for example, writing for the Harvard Business Review, claim that, quote, private insurers will be forced to compete with the public option's lower costs through improved pricing, service, and quality. Quotes. Here is what would actually happen. Profit-seeking insurance companies would use a number of techniques to cherry-pick healthier clients, and the non-profit public option would basically end up as a dumping ground for sicker people, driving up its costs and decreasing the quality of coverage. And this isn't just two opposing sides speculating about what would happen. We have real-world examples of this dynamic when you compare traditional Medicare against Medicare Advantage. Himmelstein and Woolhandler write extensively on the subject in an article titled, the public option on healthcare is a poison pill. Yeah, more like a poison suppository. Quote, Decades of experience with Medicare Advantage offer lessons about that program and how private insurers capture profits for themselves and push losses onto their public rival. Strategies that allow them to win the competition while driving up everyone's costs. Private insurers employ a dizzying array of profit-enhancing schemes that would be out of bounds for a public plan. These schemes continually involve in response to regulators' efforts to counter them. Obstructing expensive care. Plans try to attract profitable, low-needs enrollees by assuring convenient and affordable access to routine care for minor problems. Simultaneously, they erect barriers to expensive services that threaten profits. For example, prior authorization requirements, high co-payments, narrow networks, and drug formulary restrictions that penalize the unprofitably ill. While the fully public Medicare program contracts with any willing provider, many private insurers exclude, for example, cystic fibrosis specialists, and few Medicare Advantage plans cover care at cancer centers like Memorial Sloan Kettering. Moreover, private insurers' drug formularies often put all of the drugs, even cheap generics, needed by those with diabetes, schizophrenia, or HIV, in a high co-payment tier, end quote. As 
they explain on Investopedia, quote, you can see how a Medicare Advantage plan cherry picks its patients by carefully reviewing the copays and the summary of benefits for every plan you are considering. Out-of-pocket costs will quickly build up over the year if you get sick. The Medicare Advantage plan may offer a $0 premium, but the out-of-pocket surprises may not be worth those initial savings if you get sick. The best candidate for Medicare Advantage is someone who's healthy, says Mary Ashkar, senior attorney for the Center for Medicare Advocacy, end quote. Himmelstein and Woolhandler go on to describe additional tricks used by the insurance industry, quote, cherry-picking and lemon-dropping, or selectively enrolling people who need little care and disenrolling the unprofitably ill. A relatively small number of very sick patients account for the vast majority of medical costs each year. A plan that dodges even a few of these high-needs patients wins, while a competing plan that welcomes all comers loses. In the employer market, cherry-picking is easy. Private insurers offer attractive premiums to businesses with young, healthy workers, and exorbitant rates to those with older, sicker employees. The CMS, in theory, requires Medicare Advantage plans to take all comers and prohibits them from forcing people out when they get sick, but regulators' efforts to enforce these requirements have been overwhelmed by insurers' chicanery. And as a last resort, Medicare Advantage plans will stop offering coverage in a county where they've accumulated too many unprofitable enrollees, akin to a casino ejecting players who are beating the house. Finally, Medicare Advantage plans cherry-pick through targeted marketing schemes. In the past, this has meant sign-up dinners and restaurants, difficult to access for people who use wheelchairs, or offering free fitness center memberships, a perk that appeals mainly to the healthiest seniors. In sum, a public option insurer that, like traditional Medicare, doesn't try to dodge unprofitable enrollees would be saddled with more than its share of sick, expensive patients and would become a de facto, high-cost, high-risk pool. The results, the public plan and the taxpayers absorbs the losses, while private insurers skim off profits, an imbalance so big that private plans can outcompete a public plan, despite squandering vast sums on overhead costs, CEO salaries, and shareholder profits, end quote. Given that insurance companies have so many different techniques to tilt the playing field, there's no good reason to believe that introducing a public option would drive down the cost of insurance plans through competition. So contrary to what centrist Democrats tell us, it wouldn't do anything to save us money on healthcare in this country. If there's one piece of low-hanging fruit, if there's one essential outcome of any healthcare reform plan, it is reducing our insanely high per capita healthcare spending. A public option fails to accomplish even this bare minimum, because it leaves in place the insurance company status quo. Single-payer, on the other hand, replaces these many different profit-seeking insurance companies with a single government-run insurance program, thus eliminating an enormous amount of needless healthcare administration in this country. If we cut administrative costs in half, which is perfectly doable under single-payer, we could save anywhere from $350 to $500 billion each year, depending on which numbers you use. As physicians for a national health programmer, Right, quote, a public option would do nothing to streamline the administrative tasks and costs of hospitals, physician offices, and nursing homes, which would still contend with multiple payers and hence still need the complex cost tracking and billing apparatus that drives up administrative costs, end quote.
Now you might say, hang on, Anton, there are other approaches we could use to drive down administrative costs in this country. Pete Buttigieg, for example, in a healthcare white paper of his, provides a number of such proposals, including harmonizing standards for transactions, creating a central clearinghouse for claims, and requiring integration of electronic health records, billing, and reporting systems. While these sound like impressive and serious ideas, after going through this long list of wonky proposals, he anticlimactically tells us that maybe, quote, this could generate up to $10 billion in savings a year, end quote. That translates into a whopping $30 saved per person each year on healthcare. 30 whole dollars? Dude, consider healthcare fixed in this country. Compare this $10 billion against the $350 to $500 billion that Medicare for All could save in this area, and you see just how limp-wristed and pathetic his reforms truly would be. And it's not just that a public option would miss out on these savings here. It would also leave in place the seedy business practices of insurance companies, the claim denials that drown people in debt, the fine print clauses that screw people over, and the refusals to pay for treatments or medications that could improve or even save people's lives. Profit-seeking insurance companies have the exact opposite incentive that you want in healthcare. Their goal is to provide as little healthcare as possible while taking as much money as they can from you. What we should have is the complete reverse of this, a system whose goal is to provide as much healthcare as we can at the lowest possible cost. That is why we need single payer, and that is why a public option simply isn't good enough. Let's take a closer look at the choice argument as well. We're told that one of the key virtues of a public option is that it preserves the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose what is my question. Which insurance company you get screwed by? Kyle Kolinsky often points out that this isn't a choice worth preserving. Freedom of choice for your insurance company? Nobody likes their insurance company. You want freedom of choice to determine which mafia is ripping you off? You want the Irish mafia or the Italian mafia? You pick. Here, I'm giving you a choice. Not only that, but when it comes to the more important choices of which doctor you're going to see, which clinic you're going to visit, and which specialist you're going to consult with, Medicare for All would actually expand your choices and increase healthcare competition because it wouldn't have the same restrictive limitations that insurance companies do. Here's how the lovely Kim Iverson explains it. Right now, what we've got actually is you are very limited when you select an insurance plan, which many people don't even get to select their insurance plan. Their insurance is provided by their employer. So most people actually have very little choice and there's very little competition going on. Your boss tells you which provider they're allowing you to, uh, which uh, insurance provider they're going to offer you as an employee. Then inside of that insurance provider, they tell you which doctors, hospitals, and clinics are in their network. So you don't have all the choice in the world. You actually get a very limited choice. When we have Medicare for All, actually all the choices open up. If every hospital, every doctor, every clinic is all going to accept the Medicare for All system, because that's the only system to accept, then... You, as a patient, get to pick anybody. There is nowhere that's going to say, no, sorry, we don't accept your insurance. Because they do. There's only one insurance company. So actually eliminating all the private insurance companies creates more competition. Because now you get to go to any hospital, any doctor, any clinic, any provider. By the way, it's kind of funny that in every thumbnail of her, she's trying to look as sexy as possible. Now that is what my channel has been missing all this time. Stay tuned for my next video on the Israel-Palestine conflict, where the thumbnail is just going to be a picture of me flexing.
We're also told that we should set aside our lofty goals and support a public option over Medicare for All purely as a matter of pragmatic politics, because that's what the American people prefer. For example, the Washington Times tells us that, quote, public option healthcare remains more popular than Medicare for All, end quote. When you actually closely examine the polling data on this question, you find that support levels are totally contingent upon how the question is framed. Here's how The Hill summarizes a survey of theirs, quote, poll, most Americans want universal healthcare, but don't want to abolish private insurance, end quote. How were the questions asked, and what did the data actually say? They asked, quote, which of the following comes close to your view. Any citizen should be able to sign up for Medicare slash Medicaid regardless of age or income, while those with private plans could keep their existing insurance. 26%. Medicare slash Medicaid should be expanded to cover all citizens regardless of age or income, and private health plans should be abolished. 13%. Medicare slash Medicaid should be expanded to cover all citizens regardless of age or income, but people should be able to purchase private supplemental plans. 32%. End quotes. Notice first the shitty framing in one of these options. Medicare slash Medicaid should be expanded to cover all citizens, and private health plans should be abolished. Nobody is calling for all private health plans to be abolished. The Bernie Sanders Medicare for All bill only bans duplicative insurance that charges people for benefits that are already provided under the government plan. So they're asking people if they support a proposal that nobody is actually putting forth. Time and time again in surveys, you see Medicare for All presented to people in this misleading, inaccurate form. You present people with a caricature of our position, then turn around and say, see, people don't want this. Notice also that the most popular response was Medicare for All with optional, private, supplemental insurance, which is exactly what the Sanders bill calls for. So my takeaway from this survey is Medicare for All more popular than public option. Look closely at the way questions are asked in surveys, and you'll often see that the public option is presented favorably, with positive aspects of it subtly underlined in the question. Conversely, a negative spin is often put on Medicare for All. Those with private plans could keep their existing insurance. Wow, that sure sounds nice. Private health plans should be abolished. Ah, ah, ah. That doesn't sound very good at all. This just in, most Americans oppose Medicare for All. And then you read the survey methodology and the question they asked is like, do you support the communist takeover known as Medicare for All that filthy scumbag and known liar Bernie Sanders is calling for? If so, why do you hate America? I'm sure if you flipped the framing, you'd see radically different results. What do you think people would say if this is what we asked them? Should we allow the private health insurance industry who puts profits over healthcare to continue operating in this country even if it means rampant claim denials and refusals to pay for care? What about this question? Would you support a government-provided healthcare plan that saves money while also providing all American citizens with comprehensive care? Something tells me the survey results would be a little different if this is the way the questions were asked. And indeed, the clearest demonstration of this comes from the Kaiser Family Foundation, who found that the public's view of Medicare for All is entirely contingent upon which aspects of it are emphasized in the question. Quote, Do you favor or oppose having a national health plan sometimes called Medicare for All? 56% favor. Would you favor or oppose a national Medicare for All plan if you heard that it would do the following? Guarantee health insurance 
insurance as a right for all Americans. 71% favor. Eliminate all health insurance premiums and reduce out-of-pocket health care costs for most Americans. 67% favor. Eliminate private health insurance companies. 37% favor. Require most Americans to pay more in taxes. 37% favor. Threaten the current Medicare program. 32% favor. Lead to delays in people getting some medical tests and treatments. 26% favor. End quote. Especially notice support levels for options 3 and 4. 67% would favor Medicare for All if they heard that it would eliminate all health insurance premiums and reduce out-of-pocket health care costs for most Americans. Compare that against 37% who would favor Medicare for All if they heard that it would eliminate private health insurance companies. This is basically the exact same thing, simply worded in a different way, yet favorability levels are dramatically different. So anytime you hear someone say, X percent of people support Medicare for All versus a public option, understand that you can push these numbers in any direction based upon how you ask the questions. I also want to highlight the point that many of the questions that portray single-payer in a negative light are based upon completely false assumptions or extremely misleading presentations. For example, would you support Medicare for All if it required most Americans to pay more in taxes? The financial reality of Medicare for All is that per capita healthcare spending would sharply decline due to administrative savings, drug price reductions, and so forth. Even if the funding mechanism would shift from out-of-pocket pre premiums and co-pays to taxation, the net amount spent each year would decline under Medicare for All. Would you support Medicare for All if it threatened the current Medicare program? How about if it would improve the current program by expanding benefits and filling coverage gaps, which is what really would happen? I think it's clear that the more informed people are about how Medicare for All would actually work, the higher its support levels would be. It's also worth looking at how the political data breaks down by political ideology. According to a 2019 Morning Consult and Politico survey, here are the support levels for Medicare for All. Democrats, 77%. Independents, 50%. Republicans, 27%. Support levels for a public option? Democrats, 77%. Independents, 58%. And Republicans, 68%. So basically, among Democrats' support levels for the two proposals are the same. For Independents, it's slightly higher for a public option, and for Republicans, it's dramatically higher for a public option. That KFF survey from earlier found slightly different results. Basically, support for a public option is 10% higher for Democrats, and 25% higher for Independents and Republicans. You might look at this data and say, aha! Proof that if you want to win an election, the public option is the way to go, especially when it comes to winning moderate and conservative voters. I'd say several things in response to this. Number one, I don't really care what conservatives think, and I'm sure as hell not going to base my policy positions off of their idiotic preferences. A 2018 survey found that only 15% of Republicans think climate change is a serious problem that requires action. Should we therefore half-ass our response to climate change simply to appeal and ingratiate some conservative voters? Frankly, the more Republicans that support a given policy, the lower the probability that it's a good idea. And they're not going to vote for you anyway, so what does it matter what they think? Obamacare is a great example of this. It was originally a right-wing proposal, so this was Obama bending over backwards to make concessions and try to appease his political opponents. Look what happened anyway. I don't recall too many elected Republicans rushing to the podium to support it and congratulate him on his middle-of-the-road approach. Only one Republican in the House and zero Republican senators voted for it. So it doesn't matter what the Democrats 
Democrats push. As long as it's anywhere to the left of the Republican Party, they're gonna denounce it. They're gonna say it's communism. They're gonna smear it as a socialist takeover. So running more to the center gets you nowhere with these people anyway. I'm simply not interested in making nice with people on the wrong side of the issue in some delusional, misguided attempt to maybe get 1% or 2% of them to vote for me. I'd much rather excite my own political base by fighting for what I truly believe in and what would truly bring about the most change and the biggest benefits for the largest number of people. This is the problem with all of you douchebag, triangulating politicians. You're much more concerned with winning your own elections and doing whatever you think it'll take to stay in power instead of actually fighting for what's right. Pete Buttigieg is like a walking focus group. If he was any more of an empty suit, they'd hang him on a rack at Nordstrom. He will get on stage and claim to believe whatever he thinks the poll numbers are telling him to believe. Many people see right through that facade and will not be inspired to vote for him come election day. That's one problem that you'll never have with a politician like Bernie Sanders. Even if you disagree with him politically on certain questions, almost nobody doubts that he's honestly telling you what he believes. And we already tried running the focus group-driven centrist Democrat in the 2016 election, and look how that turned out. Even if the polling data showed that the public option was much more popular than Medicare for All, and as I've shown, it completely depends on how you frame the proposals, my response wouldn't be to change my beliefs to match the majority opinion. I'd be like, these people are wrong, here's why, and I would still support Medicare for All, because it's simply the better program to support. There's also a psychological bias built into people that makes them more supportive of the public option. Ezra Klein, in one of his famously boring pieces for Vox, writes the following, quote, If the private insurance market is such a nightmare, why is the public so loath to abandon it? Why have past reformers so often been punished for trying to take away what people have and replace it with something better, end quote. Two words, Ezra, loss aversion. As we read on thedecisionlab.com, quote, Demonstrated by Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, in 1992, the key idea behind the loss aversion bias is that people react differently to positive and negative changes of their status quo. More specifically, losses are twice as psychologically powerful compared to equivalent gains, end quotes. So even if people know that private insurance sucks, if you come up to them and say, we're going to take your insurance away from you and replace it with something better, there's a built-in cognitive bias that'll make us resist that idea. It's kind of like the kid who's bored of a toy of his, but clutches it tightly the second you suggest letting another kid play with it. Come on, Anton, let little Johnny play with the truck now. No, it's mine! Mr. Dieball, what are you doing in the sandbox? You're like 25 years old. I'd also add that a big chunk of people in this country are healthy enough that they've only had very limited interactions with the insurance industry. Occasional doctor visits for minor ailments, maybe some blood work and a general checkup every now and then, that's about it. For healthy people like this, it might not seem so bad, especially when their employer pays a large chunk of their premiums, but the minute you really get sick or really get injured and have to start undergoing all kinds of surgeries and complicated procedures, welcome to hell is basically the way it works in this country. Hang on a sec, the public option supporter might say at this point. Other developed countries have systems very similar to the one I'm advocating, and things work very well over there. John Delaney, for example, points to Germany as a role model for his public option plan. So I want everyone to have a basic government healthcare package as a right. But what I don't want to do is make the government the only provider of healthcare. I want people to have the ability to opt out if they want, go buy their own private insurance, or do what Medicare beneficiaries do, which is buy these supplemental plans. I think that kind of mixed model, which is what Germany has, I think that's the best system as a matter of policy and as a matter of politics.
The simple fact of the matter is that the German system is nothing like what Delaney is calling for. Himmelstein and Woolhandler provide a great summary of how things truly work in Germany, quote, The non-profit German sickness funds, which cover 89% of the population, only wealthy Germans are allowed to purchase coverage from for-profit insurers, are jointly managed by employers and unions, a far cry from our employer-based coverage. The government mandates identical premium rates for all the sickness funds, takes money from those with low-risk enrollees and subsidizes others with older and sicker ones, and directly pays for most hospital construction. All sickness funds offer identical benefit packages, pay the same fees, and cover care from any doctor or hospital." End quotes. This is hardly comparable to the public option plans put forth by Democratic candidates, which basically propose little more than adding a public option into the ACA exchanges and leaving for-profit health insurance companies to continue operating exactly as they have been. If you want to talk about making all insurance companies non-profits and also having the government set premium rates and determine what the exact package of benefits and fees will be, I'd be open to discussion about such a proposal. None of the Democratic candidates, however, including John Delaney, are actually running on a German model. Please, the only thing about the John Delaney campaign that's German is the deep sense of schadenfreude that it fills me with. I should also add that John Delaney has millions of dollars invested in our current healthcare and insurance system. He's like, look, I prefer the public option because I support the right to choose, between a new Ferrari or a second yacht. Something else I find noteworthy is that the public option plans put forth by these candidates still sound pretty terrible, even according to their own glowing descriptions. Here's what we read on the Joe Biden campaign website, quote, He'll also build on the Affordable Care Act with a plan to insure more than an estimated 97% of Americans, end quote. Here's another way to put this. According to his own campaign's presumably optimistic estimates, 3% of Americans will remain uninsured, or about 10 million of them. Talk about setting the bar low. I am a staunch, uncompromising supporter of almost universal healthcare. Dude, what a visionary. What do we want? Healthcare. Who do we want it for? An estimated 97% of Americans. Yeah. Wait, why am I supporting this guy? As Matt Brunig writes on the subject, quote, These sorts of estimates should be taken with a grain of salt, as it is very unclear how people will respond to the reforms. For instance, the CBO initially estimated that 22 million Americans would sign up for insurance on the Obamacare exchanges, but only half that many actually did. Even if you suppose that Biden's estimate is right and the uninsurance rate does go to 3%, that still implies an enormous amount of unnecessary death caused by a lack of insurance. One commonly used estimate, for example, example by CAP, states that one unnecessary death occurs annually for every 830 uninsured people. That means that during the first 10 years of Biden care, over 125,000 unnecessary deaths would occur from uninsurance." End quote. There's also a funny contradiction that was pointed out by Kyle Kalinske. Joe Biden during the debates will be like, This is America! We can do anything! We're the greatest country on earth! Anything is possible! Then he'll turn around and spend half the debate telling us about all the things that we can't do. Medicare for all? There is no way we could do that in this country. 
Many of these centrist Democrat healthcare proposals also call for increasing healthcare subsidies for low-income Americans. In that same healthcare white paper of his, for example, Pete Buttigieg writes that, quote, Pete will make premium subsidies more generous for low-income people. This plan will also extend the subsidies to more middle-income people by capping premium payments at 8.5% of income for everyone, end quote. This does ultimately mean that health insurance would become more affordable for some percentage of low- and middle-income earners. But understand that proposals like this that increase subsidies, while doing very little to change the private insurance status quo, are basically just shoring up this shitty-ass system. Don't confuse the provision of subsidies with an actual reduction in the cost of healthcare in this country. The cost would ultimately stay the same. It's just that wealthier Americans would be taxed more to alleviate the financial burden on poor Americans. Okay, maybe this would be a slight improvement over our current system, but it's a surface-level solution that doesn't actually tackle the underlying problems here. It's like your house is flooding, but instead of actually draining the water, we just give you a pair of floaties to keep you from drowning. By providing subsidies like this, understand that you're ultimately subsidizing the predatory business practices of the insurance industry and driving more unfortunate customers into their arms. Untangling people from health insurance companies isn't just a side effect of Medicare for All. It's a concrete policy goal that has many benefits of its own. By getting these insurance companies largely out of the way, single payer would spare us the burden of dealing with them, while also saving hundreds of billions in healthcare administration each year. These public option link subsidies are just half-measure, band-aid solutions that completely ignore the elephant in the room. One last downside to the public option is explained in a Splinter News article, quote, The public option would also entrench the current problems with Medicare and Medicaid. Senator Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All proposal, on the other hand, would actually make Medicare better for patients by eliminating prescription costs, premiums, and co-pays, end quote. So as we've seen, a public option simply wouldn't provide the kind of healthcare reform that's needed in this country. It continues business as usual for the insurance industry, while doing little more than providing them with a dumping ground for sicker, unhealthier people. Letting people choose between a bunch of terrible options simply isn't good enough. A single-payer plan that includes everyone would spread the risk evenly and actually bring down cost by eliminating needless administration. It would also expand our choices in terms of doctors and healthcare facilities facilities because no location or provider would be classified as out of network. Even if a public option was more popular than Medicare for All in unslanted survey questions, that wouldn't make it the better plan and that wouldn't nullify its many drawbacks. Support for Medicare for All steeply increases when you highlight its positive aspects and when you don't lie about it. Plans that continue to leave millions uninsured don't even belong in the conversation, and saving a measly $10 billion on administration pales in comparison to the hundreds of billions we'd save under Medicare for All. Citing Germany as supporting a public option ignores key aspects of its system that public option supporters simply aren't advocating. Supporting single-payer is cool, and supporting me on Patreon is even cooler. Patreon.com slash skepticalhuman. Go there, become a supporter, and you'll receive access to my patron-only bonus videos. Given the subjects that I focus on in my videos, whether we're talking about politics or some sort of creationist arguments or maybe uh, some kind of conspiracy theory, a lot of the keywords that I'll use in my titles and description and tags get marked by the YouTube algorithm as unfit for monetization. And while there is an appeal process you can go through, oftentimes they say no, uh, you still can't run ads on this. If, if the decision does get overturned, oftentimes that takes several days which is after a lot of the views 
already have come in. So that in combination with the facts that so many people on the internet use ad blockers basically means that I'm only making a small fraction of what I could be making on YouTube. Supporting me on Patreon goes around all of that and ensures that every time I post a video, uh, I'm actually getting paid. So if you think my content is valuable and informative, consider becoming a supporter today. You can also follow me on Twitter at a skeptical human, and if you click the bell next to the subscribe button, you'll get notified when new content is posted. By the way, I almost forgot to mention that I recently started a second YouTube channel that's focused on personal development, self-improvement, motivation, things of that nature. Uh, the videos are a lot more casual than the stuff on this channel. Uh, unscripted, a lot of the stuff is just sort of off the cuff. Uh, pretty much just me filming myself talking like I'm doing now. If that sounds like something that might pique your interest, head on over to 120 Motivation and check out some of the content. Thank you all for watching and listening, as always, and until next time, take care.